and welcome to another episode of G220 Radio. This is Ricky Gantz along with Mike Miller and Natty P. And again, this is episode number 456. We're getting back into our series on the 1689 tonight, dealing with chapter 20. Uh, but before we do that, uh, let's find out how everybody's doing this week. Mike, how we doing, brother? Doing pretty good. Just popping out here to the intro music, making sure sound's working. But, yeah. Yeah, doing pretty good. Survived the protest yesterday. I don't know what they were protesting, but I survived it. Have those just been going on nonstop down there in, in your uh, neck of the woods? It hasn't happened for a couple weeks now, three weeks now. Mm-hmm. Um, the It's nice because I can watch it on Facebook via the police department. So, you know, it's just see all the crazy stuff that goes on. Yeah. How about you, uh, Nathaniel? How's everything going with you, brother? Oh, you know, it's Akron's pretty boring. It's like a ghost town, so not, no, no riots here. Yeah. Lots of shootings if you go to the wrong part, but um, I live outside of the wrong part, so I'm good. Yeah. Well, we we had the opportunity to go down to uh, Cleveland this past uh, Saturday, and uh, it was pretty interesting. There was um, quite a few people out in the city of Cleveland, a lot of people out, um, in the bar district, a lot of people just, as we walked around, just people outside enjoying life. Um, I don't, I I think we probably passed some people wearing masks. I really wasn't paying much attention, but it, it just seemed like people were just going on with life out there. It didn't really seem like, you know, there's this thing of COVID that, uh, still exists, you know? Um, but, uh, just seemed like people were out just doing, everyday things in the city you better be careful because there's more covid cases today than there's ever been in the history of the world so um the governor's you know gonna put on a dress tomorrow that's what i heard i thought yeah well i think he does a an address every day uh, oh, dealing with uh, the covid situation but um an address an address oh i must have heard it incorrectly sorry <laughs> no disrespect to our esteemed governor so uh, we're going to be talking about uh, the 1689. This is a series that we've been doing, and uh, we've kind of had a pause in it for a little while. We, we just got a lot of things, a lot of topics that we, <clears throat> excuse me, like to touch on here on G220 Radio. And this is one of those topics that we are trying to get through uh, the 1689, along with Proverbs, uh, which you're going to see uh, next week. We are going to be doing that here. Uh, here's a promo for it. Next week, we're going to be looking at proverbs chapter 10 proverbs chapter 10 that'll be next week on g220 radio and as we continue to move through some of these series uh and in between those we we obviously we have other topics that we want to address and deal with uh, and things that come up and uh so we're just slowly working our way through and we're we're on chapter 20 is talking about of the gospel and the extent of the grace thereof now, uh, we, we want you to, to go back and listen to some of these other episodes. If you have not heard them, you can go to our Podbean, uh, where we host our podcast. Uh, you can go there and, and listen to all the way back to the beginning when it comes to the 1689. Or you can go on our YouTube channel, where you're watching us right now live, uh, and you can go back to, I believe, uh, Chapter 5 was when we started recording those uh, live on YouTube. However, not everyone is been has been recorded uh, on on uh, YouTube on our YouTube channel. 
So there will be some breaks in there. But like I said, if those, if you want to listen to those, you can do so on our Podbean. So um, that being said, the only way you're going to be able to stay up to date with us is to follow us on Facebook page, follow us on Twitter, uh, follow us on our Podbean, uh, subscribe to us there if you listen or any podcast catcher, really, and you'll get the latest shows when those are updated. Uh, I think I'm a little behind on that, but when we get those out there, you'll be able to to listen to those or subscribe to us here on YouTube and you can follow us live every Tuesday night here on G220 Radio. We go live at 9 p.m., give or take, but uh, we go live at 9, so tune in. Now, <clears throat> getting into this chapter, man, I thought it was some interesting things that deal with this. Uh, looking at the history of this, because the 1689, obviously we know in, in past shows, we've, we've explained this and, and brought this up, that there is really close comparisons with the 1689 and the Westminster. Uh, and then we also have the Civil Aid Declaration. And this chapter here, chapter 20, is in the Savoy and the 1689. It's not in the Westminster Confession of Faith. And so that is something that's unique here with, with the 1689. Uh, and again, like I said, it comes very similar with the, the Savoy there. They've kind of borrowed from that. But during this time frame, uh, the early 17th century, <clears throat> there started to be writings that would appear on deism. And so in putting this in here, they were seeking to, as we had one of the pastors that's been on the show before, speaking about the 1689, saying that it was political. There were things going around them at that time that they were speaking to try to address from this Baptist perspective. And so one of those things was deism. <clears throat> and so they were trying to make this uh, uh, effort to put this out there to explain that this is not what we believe uh, as Christians and as, as Baptists here. Uh, and so deism was around the 1647 to 1656, and they were seeking to address this the Savoy which came out in 1658, does address this here in chapter uh, 20 of their confession. And like I said, uh, 1689 does so as well. And again, anything you guys want to add to that before we get into the paragraphs here of the 1689? Yeah, I think the importance of where it is um, also matters where you, back in chapter 7, talks about God's covenants. And in paragraph three, it talks about this covenant, which talk about covenant of grace is revealed in the gospel first in to Adam and the promise of salvation by seed of the woman. And afterwards by further steps to fully discovered thereof and was completed in the new Testament. And so you have this idea of covenant and kind of walking through, I guess you could say benefits of the covenant when you think about the covenant of grace that has been made. And now here is this mm. continuation kind of, or the finale of this covenant. What is this covenant? How do you become part of this covenant? And it's also situated in between the fact that we just talked about the law of God and the next chapter is on liberty and freedom. And so this placing from one guy I was listening to who's actually British instead of all these Americans uh, was commenting on um, 
just the importance of this placement of it. There, it's kind of a hinge between one section and another, and yet the bridge which connects them also, because you cannot be free from the law apart from the salvific the salvific work of Christ. But that gives you then freedom to live. But it's also a covenant, mm. and which is made all. Also, so you kind of have the ending of one, and yet this also transitional piece. Yeah. Amen. Amen. Good stuff there. Good things here on G220 Radio. We hope this is going to be edifying to you. We always want to hear your feedback. Well, you can join us in the chat room live on YouTube, or you can send us messages on our Facebook page and Twitter, uh, as well as send us email at g220radio at gmail.com. We'd love to hear feedback from you. Now, as we move to this 1689, chapter 20, okay, I'm going to read paragraph one here, all right? This says here in paragraph one, the covenant of works, which Mike was just speaking about the covenants, the covenant of works being broken by sin and made unprofitable unto life, God was pleased to give forth the promise of Christ, the seed of the woman, as the means of calling the elect and begetting in them faith and repentance in this promise, the gospel, as to the substance of it was revealed and is therein effectual for the conversion of salvation of sinners. This is what we're seeing here in chapter, well, chapter 20, paragraph 1. And some of the things that I, I think is very important that we, we, we speak about here is what this chapter is going to make a very important uh, emphasis on, as we said, we mentioned about dealing with deism and, and just this idea that I, I just heard, and I think I referenced it uh, two weeks ago on the show, as I listened to an article or an interview with Tony Evans. He's a very popular preacher in the United States on, on um, Moody Radio quite often, if he still even has a platform on that, <clears throat> that radio program. Um, but I know he's writing a book that's being published by Moody, and in that interview, he said, people respond to the light that is given to them. You know, if they didn't hear the gospel, they respond to the light that has been given to them. Well, what we're going to see here in chapter 20 of this confession is this emphasis that <clears throat> while we do affirm and believe that general or natural revelation is important and God uses it and it reveals the glory of God to man, it cannot save man. It doesn't save. You need the special revelation of God. Yeah, and you, um, you see it kind of in talking about it. So you have the covenant of works, which Isaiah mentions, covenant of Adam. So this is not, this is how the prophets see it. You have this covenant of with Adam. He is to obey God, um, to not only do the moral law, but also the law to not eat of the tree, of the fruit from the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, but that he's broken it. And he's not saved by any other means, but by the promise God gives to him. So very early you see salvation by faith because mm -hmm. he has to believe the promise 
and the guy I was listening to, I'll look up his name so I can give him due credit, um, mentions that the promise comes before the curse. And that God has it. And so kind of to poke at our dispensational friends, which we like to do quite often, um, Adam is saved like we are. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That he trusts in the promise of God. Now we know the the fullness of this promise is the son. So that's why we say that he he believes in Christ, but he believes in the promise given to him by the God, which is fulfilled in that. And he looks forward. And our faith is different. We get to look back and see God's faithfulness and how God saves us through the gospel message. But we also look forward to final salvation when all is set right and we are back into the garden in which Adam first found himself. Right. That when I first became a Christian, um, that was one of the, one of the things that through somebody's preaching or, or somehow became readily apparent um, to me uh, was uh, this promise of the head crushing seed uh, was the same gospel uh, in Genesis three fifteen, as it was uh, in two thousand fifteen when I heard it. So um, uh, Adam, through this promise, would have been saved the exact same way that I have by mm-hmm. believing God, saved the same way that Abraham was, believed God that it, you know it was credited to him as righteousness. Um, now, obviously, we'd say that he had a fuller. Uh, or a, a more limited uh, revelation of the identity of the Savior um, because he knew that it was the seed of the woman. And we know now looking back that it was uh, Jesus of Nazareth. So we have the full picture as God has spoken to us these last days uh, in his son. Yeah, the, 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 the promise of Christ was essentially, and in substance, the promise of the gospel and salvation. And, and so that is why, as, as Mike said, with our dispensationalist friends, and we, we look at this and we can say that there's not this old way of doing things or a different dispensations in which God is saving people. Um, <clears throat> under the old covenant, you're saved by the law. Maybe classical dispensationals would argue that, maybe not so much the progressives today, but you're saved by the keeping of the law. No, that has never been the case. Never, never been the case. It's always been by the grace of God through faith in the promised one to come. We're speaking of Christ. That's why, even when you think about this, when Paul and the apostles are going around proclaiming the gospel, they don't have the New Testament written right? But they're declaring Christ from the Old Testament scriptures right. because the gospel is there. We have a, a, the New Testament, which reveals light onto the Old Testament. And we can look back, as Mike said, we can look back to the cross. We can look back to what Christ has accomplished on that cross. We see from this side of things, but they still had that same gospel that was saving. We just have a fuller picture of that today. Just- just to, just to circle back real quick to um, Tony Evans, uh, you had mentioned earlier about uh, people responding to God with as much light as they have. Um, 
Now, <clears throat> this comes not him, but also there's this stream of Pelagianism where um, everybody, and, and maybe not everyone knows how Pelagian they're being, but where everyone gets a fair shake from the beginning uh, to try to keep the law of God, but everybody somehow manages to, to mess it up. Um, and I think that would be the major objection here because we're talking about the covenant of works. And, and obviously, if you go back to our previous broadcast, we probably flush this out more, but um, that'd probably be the major objection to that first clause, uh, the broken covenant of works. Um, one of our catechism questions in our catechism group, it, it talks about uh, the covenant being made not only with Adam, but also with his posterity. And so the fact that our federal head, uh, our representative in Adam uh, broke this covenant, um, it's unkeepable because we inherit his, his guilt. We inherit uh, uh, his, the corruption uh, of our, our nature and we inherit uh, a lack of original righteousness. Um, so that is why this um, covenant is, is unable to confer life anymore because the, the, the head broke it. And now that's why we have even the need and why all men everywhere um, even were, would have the need of this uh, gospel promise. I think, you know, when we think about that, and even Tony Evans, and we'll probably get more to this even more in the next paragraph, when we talk about what can uh, general revelation not do versus special revelation um, Nehemiah Cox points out when we think about the covenant of works that all religions minus Christianity fall in this way that is they think they can somehow do what is right and necessary to be blessed by God whether they directly say that or not, um, that is how they act. They appease the deities they create. Um, but yet it is still a covenant of works between the person and this false deity in order to achieve what God has promised of eternity that we know, that we long for and want. And so I think it's important to... Um, you know, to remember that it is that the covenant of works has been broken, but God hasn't left us in this state of misery, mm. but that he has promised Christ through the seed of the woman, calling the elect and begotting, begetting in them faith and repentance. Again, you see here early where they're going to explain later on, that it's God's work. Yeah. He begets them and was revealed and then effectual. That is, it does what it's supposed to do. That's how we teach our kids what effectual means. It does what it's supposed to do. The promise and the begetting is effectual. It does what it's supposed to do. I think it's important. Um, our Armenian friends miss this point um quite a bit that when yeah. the gospel is preached it does what it's supposed to do amen 
And what we would say is it does one of two things. It either hardens their hearts because they reject the person rejects Christ because um, in rejecting him, God also hardens their hearts to the gospel or the spirit penetrates the depths of their soul and changes their heart of stone into a heart of flesh. And that's what the gospel does. And it's factual in all that it does. And when we consider the gospel to be the word of, to be the word of God, we know in Isaiah, the word goes forth and does what it's called to do. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Amen. That's what it says there in Genesis 315. We got a, a, a friend here. Uh, of ours who is asking a question in the chat room but i'm gonna go ahead and read genesis 315 uh i will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring he shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel and the question that our friend here in the chat room is asking is who is the seed of the serpent from speaking of here um well he said his question was on genesis 315 so the seed of the serpent. Yes, the white. If you if you ask the white Hebrew Israelites, uh, the serpent seed would be the uh, offspring of the devil and Eve. But uh, that's obviously not the answer that he wants because that is uh, a cult. Um, if we look at uh, this is this is my answer, and you, you guys correct me if I'm wrong. If we look at, uh, I believe it's John. I want to say John 8 uh, says uh, you you are not of, of Abraham you're of your father the devil. the devil and you do the works that that he does and so uh, the for the devil is a liar and a murderer from the beginning um, so those un, unconverted and reprobate sinners uh, would be those uh, sons of the devil who war against the sons of God that's my my answer. Yeah, John eight forty four, and and I, I think um, after the fall, everyone is born a transgressor. They're born a child of Satan. Like well, you don't become a child of God until you have that saving faith that takes place. Until regeneration takes place, you believe on the gospel. You come to 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 uh, this this true genuine faith in Christ. You become a child of God. We talk about the the. Um, <clears throat> Uh, which I'm getting confused here on the chapters. I know there's a chapter on adoption. I don't think we got to it yet, but uh, uh, yeah, we passed it. So the, the, the speaking on adoption, you become one adopted in Christ, you know, a child of God um, in that way. But really everybody who's outside of Christ belongs to Satan until God brings them to saving faith. Um, That's why you can make that distinction. There's no in between. There's no, uh, extra options it's you're either a child of god or a child of the devil so hopefully that helps you if if not you can maybe um, clarify some more on on your questioning and hopefully we can help you out but one of the things here what's that go ahead sorry i would say that the seed of the serpent is the serpent itself while in understanding how hebrew poetry works it's not necessarily representing of a particular person but that you have the battle between the serpent 
And now what is going to be the promise and filled as it is the man you think of uh, passages like Luke 22 chapter three, then Satan entered into Judas called Iscariot, who was one of the number of the 12. He went away, conferred with the chief priests and the officers, how he might betray him to them. They were glad and agreed to give him money. So he consorted and sought an opportunity to betray him to them in the absence of a crowd. Mm. Satan enters. John talks about this too um, in the poetic language and to understanding. So the seed of the serpent is Satan himself. And it is the same that is in the serpent. And for Hebrew poetry, that's not... uh, anything to be different that one is someone who is physical and another one is is still representative of it and so the seed of the serpent is the serpent himself who comes to seek and destroy and to deceive and this is not what he is doing when it comes to it and then so we see him striking the heel of jesus on the cross but on the resurrection, Jesus stomps out death. Mm. He kills the serpent. He will be the one who will reign victorious in the end of the day and to crush his head. And when he comes again to throw him in hell where he belongs for his rebellion against the Lord. So I think the, the Bible is clear that we should see the serpent in Genesis 3 as Satan and his seed is the same. Amen, brother. Okay, so what I wanted to say here um, in continuing where we was at with this covenant of grace, this is also, we talked about our dispensational brothers, um, and this is also where we disagree with our Presbyterian brothers, right? Because we believe that this covenant of grace uh, was revealed uh, to all the saints before Christ. This is something that's been revealed before Christ, but the covenant of grace prior to the inauguration of the new covenant, which, again, is something we just had a conversation with um, just this past Saturday with the Hebrew Israelites who don't believe we're in the new covenant. But before the inauguration of that new covenant by the blood of Christ, uh, it was, you know, existed. We saw this and we see this as a promise. This is a promise of this covenant to come. This is where we would disagree. This is where 1689 federalism would disagree with uh, the Presbyterian brothers and sisters that we have, um, which Nathaniel was one, and this is not a show where we're having that debate here, but this is just showing that that this is where we would have those distinctions with that when it comes to the covenant, uh, because they would have a different view on that. We are looking at this. The covenant was given as a promise to come. It was inaugurated at the blood of Christ when he when he shed his blood the death of a testator. And so we are saying that this new covenant for the 1689 as Baptist, uh, it was inaugurated at the death of Christ when he shed his blood, but the promise was given all the way back in the garden, Genesis 3.15. Anything you want to add to that, Mike? Yeah. Um, that is how the Baptist, Nehemiah Cox, explains it. And that way, um, Pascal Denault's book, the distinctiveness of Baptist covenant theology. Um, you should read that book. If you want to really study the difference between Presbyterian covenant theology and Baptist covenant theology, 
um, shows the writings that way. Um, and uh, to think about it, um, the mantra that the covenant of grace is, um, has, I can't even think of the, the mantra. It's one covenant with two administrations. Oh, um, yeah. Baptists would disagree with that. That is the covenant of grace is not the Mosaic covenant is not in a sense, a covenant of grace, though they would say, and Nehemiah Cox um, does it is it's built upon the promise of the covenant of grace. And so there's gracious dealings in the covenant, but it's mm -hmm. not itself a covenant of grace. Um, that's how they would differentiate that. Um, and so you're starting to see some of that development here um, in it that while it's has the substance, it's not the fullness of it. Yeah. All right. So let's move on to uh, paragraph number two, paragraph number two of chapter 20 of the 1689 says this promise of Christ and salvation by him is revealed only by the word of God. Neither do the works of creation or providence with the light of nature make discovery of Christ or of grace by him, so much as in a general or obscure way, much less that men destitute of the revelation of him by the promise or gospel should be enabled thereby to attain saving faith or repentance. And this is what Mike was speaking about here in this paragraph, dealing more with this general revelation not being uh, enough to bring man to saving faith. Mike? Yeah, I think you see this... Um... I mean, this is definitely coming up between the Westminster and the 1689. So it mm -hmm. needs to be addressed. Maybe not as much when the Westminster assembly comes together, but we see this here. We see people, inclusivist mostly, but universalist also saying, well, Christ isn't preached someplace, someone can still be saved. They can uh, work diligently within the light that's they've, they've been given to be saved. And I think Romans 1 mm. uh, would say otherwise. Um, not that natural revelation doesn't tell us things about God. I think the we have to understand that it doesn't tell us the promises of God. Even Abraham, when we think about this, again, this is coming from, I get his name, Oliver Ahmed Smith. He's in Manchester, England, our church near Manchester, England. And he makes the point in talking about this in this paragraph that um, Adam and Eve would not have known about this promise unless God has told them right. about it. Mm -hmm. So they, they needed to know about this promise and had to be told they couldn't see around the garden and understand this promise. And that is the same for everyone. How do the uh, Israelites, the Hebrews know when to leave Egypt in their salvation, in the crossing of the Red Sea, where they had to be told by it, yeah. had to be told by 
a prophet of God's own choosing to come and say, this is what's going to happen. This is what you need to do. And when this happens, be ready. You know, obviously with the Passover and kind of explaining that and that God always gives his promises to a person, a representative to which he will represent the whole, but it's always through direct revelation. It's never through signs and wonders in which, you know, the aligning of the stars in a certain way um, that would give us what's going on. No, the, the promise of the gospel is always given from God to man through a prophet as a representative, and you cannot search for it in creation. Yeah. But, I mean, the Bible tells us that the, 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 the heavens declare the glory of God. So we agree that there is a natural revelation, a general revelation that's out there that testifies to everyone. Romans 1 tells us this. Everyone knows God exists. This is what we use constantly on the streets with presuppositional apologetics. When you're talking to somebody who's telling you that they're an atheist, you say, no, my friend, there's no such thing as an atheist. The Bible says you know God exists. You, you, you have this general revelation that screams out to the glory of God. But it doesn't tell an individual person that Christ came and died for their sins, that God sent his son and died for their sins. This is, has to come from a special revelation. And, and the, the, the confession here is telling us that it is revealed only by the word of God. We have the word of God. Uh, I was listening to some, um, I was listening to an interview and I won't mention the names because the, the one guy is a modalist and the other guy is a uh, Christian hip hop guy or whatever. Well, I was listening to this. I, I, I just seen it and I clicked on it, was listening to it. And he kept saying, God spoke to me and told me. God told me this. He gave this to me in a vision or, or, or a revelation back in 2015. And, and I was just thinking about that. Of That goes around so often today that people get these, these revelations from God, right? But the scriptures are what we have. It's just the final and sure word of God. There's no new revelations being given. Uh, I don't want to get off into a, a side thing here, but there's no new revelations being given. We have the word of God, and it is only by the word of God that we receive this special revelation. Because anybody could just say, God told me, right? Right. Uh, the very important thing is, um, like even in Romans 1, like it, it clearly... Um, clearly says that um, that God's divine power and his attributes are made known from the things that are made. And that's good because as you've just articulated that the, the book of nature, as it were, the, the light of nature uh, can tell us that God is, um, we can even infer from nature, from the light of our conscience, um, how, we would suppose the attributes of God are that uh, he must be a just God, a good God, um, uh, etc. Um, we can we can know that such a God is, but we can't know how he is and how he relates to us without the light of Scripture. So, um, with the Book of Nature, as it were, as 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 the Scholastics called it, uh, we we have enough 
as Romans one one uh, one says uh, that we are condemned, that we even can sense our condemnation, that we can even know that there is a God and He's probably not pleased with us because we have this light of conscience as well, and and we know that we break our own conscience, um, so we can know that God is and that He's not pleased. But we, but as it says, we we can't. Uh, I've been steadily portraying, uh, progressing through this, uh, Tom Charnock, uh, wrote, uh, the existence and attributes of God. And there's a, a, a part, he says, nature doth not show any way to a sinner, how to reconcile God's provoke justice with his tenderness. And so, so we can even see that perhaps God is good and tender, but then he's also just. So how do we make these things go together? And we can't reason our way there from, from nature, especially with the noetic effects of sin. And so we need that revelation, that special revelation of Christ uh, to show us how God relates to ruined sinners who are do his divine justice. Yeah. Yeah. And you think about all the things they deny. So it's only revealed by the word of God. So it's neither by the works of creation. So God's creative act, creating the world in six days and everything that's in it, nor providence, how the catechism defines God's most holy. Uh, let me pull the question up so I don't mess it up. Um, so the works of providence are his God's most holy, wise and power, preserving and governing all of his creatures and all of their actions. Mm -hmm. So those don't tell us as he governs this world as, as everything goes. So it's neither that nor the light of man, which knows there's a God again, question three in the catechism addresses that. But how do we know there's a God? Well, the light of nature and man tells us that there's a God, but that the spirit and the scripture do it effectually. But we'll get to that. Um, can make discovery of Christ or their grace by their end. They can't find him. And again, that's what makes the person in some third world country who has never heard the gospel. I mean, to think about all of that, well, he can't find Christ that he doesn't have the revelation. Yeah. You know, to go it much less that man desolute of revelation of him by the promise or the gospel should be enabled thereby to obtain saving faith and repentance. I mean, the, the, the catechism is clear is there's one way to be saved and it's through the gospel. Well, the gospel is the power of God unto salvation. First the Jews, then the Greeks. I think that's important that, you know, as we've mentioned, there's the effect that it's effectual but it has to be told. That's Paul's great uh, earnest plead in chapter, I think Romans chapter 10, 8. I get those confused. When he talks about we hear by faith, but how do we hear? Well, people are sent and they proclaim. They proclaim the word of God. That's how people hear. That's how people are saved. Yeah. You're absolutely right, Mike. That is Romans 10. It is one of the uh, proof texts. So how will they hear without a preacher? 
that's why it's important, as you're saying, um, you know, a lot of times it's an, uh, it, it argued, argued against for, um, it's arguing against uh, this idea that people who've never heard the gospel do go to hell. And people, people um, will say, well, but what if they're good and, and all this stuff? But really, um, our response shouldn't be, oh, I hope they're okay. It should be like, we need to get to these people. That's why we send missionaries uh, out. If people could reason their way to God or reason their way to some sort of goodness that would be just good enough, uh, then we would never send a missionary out because heaven forbid they hear the gospel and reject it. it uh, so, so that's why it's so important that we tell, tell your friends, tell your kids, tell your neighbors, go out and tell do, your tell your wife, tell, tell everybody, get out your uh, contacts list on your phone and call people and let them know, Hey, Jesus uh, died for sinners of which you are one. And you might be almost as bad as me. So repent and believe the good news. You know, you got to get out and do this because it's the only way people how can they hear without a preacher? Yeah. And 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 that's 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 very key right there that we must emphasize this as Christians. There is only one way to salvation. There's only one way to the Father and that is through Christ. It's Christ alone. Now, I'm just going to be honest, there then comes the very tough the tough argument. And I think it's an appeal of emotion, but it's a tough argument. Because then people go to, and, and we did address this on one of the programs that we did on the 1689, this, this did come up. But people go to then, what about babies that die? What about those who have some type of mental disability and they cannot respond that way? And to be honest, I don't think there's enough, me personally, maybe you guys disagree. I don't think there's enough scripture to try to say one way or the other. All I can say is that God saves the elect and the just judge of the universe will do right. Amen. But it's only through Christ that if these people in the, either a, a child or a someone who has the mental capability that they cannot comprehend something, if they're saved, it's only through Christ. Right. Uh, that's, uh, that's what it says in, uh, I believe, I believe both of our confessions have it. I know it's in 10.3, I believe it's in chapter 10 of the, uh, Westminster. And I believe it would also be in chapter 10 effectual calling, uh, in the, in the London Baptist as well. Uh, elect infants dying in infancy receive the same, uh, regenerating work and effectual call, uh, and work of the Holy spirit on the heart, uh, that they are saved, uh, for Christ's sake, so all all other persons uh, incapable of receiving such a call—that is, uh, mental capacity and, and and such things. But yeah, I, I absolutely agree that the only safe thing to say would be that God does save the elect. And we don't know. We know that the just judge of the earth will will indeed do right. And that's where yeah. that's where you have to put your hope. Uh, you can't put it in. Uh, some contrived age of accountability and whatnot. Um, you, what you really have to put it in is that God is good and he will do right. Yeah. And I think I'd probably start off with just, I think it's just, it's so much that can help with that verse. But when Abraham 
uh, talks to God and he says, will not the just judge of all the earth do what is right? When they're standing on the cliff, they're looking over Sodom and Gomorrah and God's about to destroy them. And Abraham is pleading, what if there's 50 righteous people? What if there's 40 and going down? And I think that's the important. I do think scripture, not clear, um, but I do think scripture gives hints that those who are unable to respond because of sin are saved. They are elect. Um, Again, I think it's inferences, but that could be... um, I mean, I could be wrong. I'm not like planting my flag and and holding tight on that. Um, But at the very least, um, you know, we know the just judge of all the earth will do what was right. And we can be like Moses and plead for God's mercy and his glory um, in that, in what he does. And, you know, and realize we live in a sinful world. Yeah. And to, we have to put our hope in Christ and that's, that's the end of it. And God has told us what we need to know for life and godliness. He hasn't given us answers to all of our problems. Yeah. Um, and so it requires more trust. Yeah. And that's why, you know, we, we want to encourage you. Like we, we, we understand there are difficult things that we don't fully grasp and understand from scripture, but we want to be very careful that we don't go over and overstep our bounds of what scripture says, because it is a very an emotional appeal. I get it. I, I completely get it. I understand. We go out and plead with people at the abortion center, you know, and, and, and so we, we know that, that it is a very serious thing uh, that we're speaking on. And we want to be careful that we don't overstep that. Um, we're going to continue, but Nathaniel, I need you to do me a favor. Uh, Tristan has another question, and so I want you to look this up uh, for us. And when you're ready, you can answer this question for him, uh, and we'll just keep going with the, the 1689 and just tell me when you're ready. But his question is, what is Romans 2, 12 through 16 saying? Then he says, does the law, does, or he says, doers of the law justified and not hearers and their thoughts excusing them on judgment day. So you look that up for him and we're going to move on to paragraph. Mm. Mike, you already got it. I uh, looked it up. Oh, you already did. Mike, go ahead. I did. So what I would say that in this context, um, Paul is arguing that being a Jew is not enough. Having the law is not enough to save someone. And that when he gets down to uh, verse 12, it doesn't excuse the Gentile, but it really puts the pressure on the Jews. Because when he he talks about for those who sin without the law will also perish without the law. And those who sin under the law will be judged by the law. And I think he's just referring to, it's not that those who sinned without the law um, are kind of free, but in this case, I think he's talking about the Mosaic law. So those outside of the Mosaic law are not going to be judged by um, faithfully keeping the Mosaic covenant. Um, it doesn't say they're not going to be judged. They're just, that's not the standard by which they will be judged. Um, for it's not the hearers of the law who are righteous before God, but the doers of the law that will be justified. I think he's just proven it. 
even more that the law stands to in order to be justified you have to keep the law you just can't hear it you have to do it and then he uh turns it more on the jews by saying look the gentiles who don't have the law do the law for it's written on their hearts and so it just points more that not only do the Gentiles know the light of nature and man, as the confession would say it, not only do the Gentiles know God's law because it's written on their heart, mm-hmm. <clears throat> at least the moral law, right. as we would understand it in the 10 commandments, but that, um, so the Jews have no excuse because they hear the law and they don't do it. That's the first part in Romans one eleven. but it's even more that the Gentiles who doesn't have the law do keep parts of the law for it's written on their hearts and yet um in the end both will stand without any excuse before god because they've broken god's law yeah amen all right let's move on to uh chapter or chapter 20 we're in chapter 20 let's move on to (laughs) paragraph number three Uh, we got two more pairs to get through here um, and so here, I'm going to read this for you. It says para- paragraph three in chapter 20 of the 1689 Second London Baptist Confession of Faith. The revelation of the gospel unto sinners made in divers time and by sundry parts with the addition of promises and precepts for the obedience required therein as to the nations and persons to whom it is granted is merely of the sovereign will and good pleasure of God, not being annexed by virtue of any promise to the due improvement of men's natural abilities by virtue of common light received without it, which none ever did make or can do so. And therefore, in all things, the preaching of the gospel has been granted unto persons and nations as to the extent or straightening of it in great variety, according to the counsel and or counsel of the will of God. And this is where this is where we, we kind of talked about this or alluded to this already uh, throughout the show. Uh, this gospel, this special revelation of this gospel that's being made unto sinners, not everybody's going to hear it. It's going to go out by the sovereign will and good pleasure of God. Um, this is why we see in the Old Testament we see it's a progressive revelation that happens throughout. There's there's a little more and more revealed to Israel throughout time, right? Not everybody received this gospel message then. The, 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 the promise of the new covenant was there. The promise of Christ is there in the Old Testament, right? The gospel's there, but not everybody received it and fully understands it. And not, not everybody received that, that message. Just like today, not everybody receives the gospel. This is why, as, as Nathaniel was saying, we go and proclaim it. We don't say, let's not go proclaim it, because it, they're better off in their general revelation wherever they are, whatever light's been given to them, let's just build fences around those countries. Let's not go in and give them the gospel. We don't do that. We go and preach it. We go and share it with our neighbors. We tell our family members because that gospel is the power of God unto salvation. And we want people to come to saving faith. But it's only by the sovereign uh, will and the good pleasure of God. Right. Um, is uh Good, good proof text here. Uh, Psalm Psalm one forty seven twenty is not dealt thus 
with any other nation. They do not know his rules. Praise the Lord. So, um, talks, so, so what we see here is the sovereignty. Um, not only is God sovereign in who will accept his offer, but even in a sense, who even receives the offer of this grace by virtue of, as uh, Acts 17, 26 says, he appoints uh, the times and the boundaries for their habitation. So um, we live in America in 2020, and if the times had been a little different by a thousand years for our, hab our habitation here, we would have been completely cut off from access to the gospel. So it's just God's sovereignty and even when and where and who, where you live, even uh, to the gospel, having access uh, to you as an individual, uh, just complete and absolute sovereignty as he, as he um, makes it known. Uh, another, th another thing that had come to my mind in terms of this sovereignty of God in who receives the light of the gospel uh, in terms of proclamation uh, to them is I was reading Jonah and I was in chapter one this morning and Jonah is given the task uh, to go to Nineveh, a Gentile territory who, as Psalm 147.20 says, he has not dealt with Assyria in the way he's dealt with us. They don't know his rules. Uh, yet God was pleased to send Jonah to Nineveh, Assyria's capital, to proclaim this gospel of repentance, as it were. Uh, and on the way, even Jonah flees the presence of the Lord. He's on the ship, uh, brings trouble upon the ship. He says, you got to throw me off. And it turns out that these guys who were just trying to get to Tarshish end up becoming uh, saved uh, as they call on the Lord and make sacrifices to the Lord because this rapscallion Jonah was running away from his duty. So it's just, God's in his sovereignty and his providence of where he brings the gospel. It's just absolutely astonishing. Yeah. Yeah. You think about just even in the spread of the gospel in Acts. So mm. Acts chapter 16, verse six, and they went from the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been forbidden by the Holy spirit to speak the word in Asia, which would be modern kind of Turkey and a little bit even farther, um, east of there and when they came to my asa they attempted to go and bethelena but the spirit of jesus did not allow them so by passing through my they went through troas and a vision appeared to paul in the night a man in macedonia was standing there urging them and saying come over to macedonia and help us and when paul had seen the vision immediately he sought to go to Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. Paul, obviously an apostle, is receiving direct visions and where to go and preach the gospel. Yeah, God is sovereignly controlling those who will hear and those who will not hear. Mm. Part of his work of providence as he goes, but he's also working um, through this. It's not that he doesn't want the people in Asia to be saved. It wasn't his timing yet, and he forbade Paul from doing it. Yeah. You know, I, I think this is very important for us to, to, to address as we're, we're talking about this. 
uh, because I've heard it growing up in independent fundamentalist Baptist kind of church backgrounds. We as Christians want to reach as many people as we can with the gospel. We want to see our family members saved. We, you know, we are we are street preachers. We are evan, you know, we go out and evangelize people in our workplaces, you know, in, in our communities. We're sharing the gospel with people when we have those opportunities to do so. Because we want people to know Christ. Missionaries go throughout the world and share the gospel and plant plant, plant churches throughout the world because they want people to know Christ. Okay? So while we desire to see as many people as we can come to know Jesus Christ, sometimes it doesn't happen. And we don't want to be like those who make the argument, if you don't go and tell every single person, if you miss these opportunities, that you that their blood is on your hand because you didn't go over into this nation or to this place or to this place. You know, we do it because we desire to see people come to Christ, but we also trust in the sovereignty of God. If it is for God, if we don't get to tell somebody about Jesus Christ, and, and it is for God in his will, in his providence to bring them to saving faith, he will do it. Just like, he, you know, you're giving the example of Jonah. You know, not that we're trying to be disobedient in that, but if for whatever reason in the providence of God, we don't get to tell the gospel to somebody that we run into on the street or passing at the gas station, or, you know, just in passing on a daily basis, if God is going to save that person, he will bring someone in their path to, to give them the good news. Right. Yeah. And I think it's, um, trying to find the reference here, but to be noted that Jesus hid mm-hmm. meanings of teachings in parables and he praises God about it. And so to think through all of these, um, to think through just even in Jesus, Jesus is thanking God that people are not understanding that people do not understand parables and mostly the religious leaders. And yet it's the babes who are understanding it. It's those who are, um, God is opening their eyes to, um, be able to understand what is being, uh, said was being talked about. And not only, Understanding, I think the Pharisees, there's it's clear and it's the Pharisees understood the parables. Um, but you know, kind of on an intellectual, they knew what they were about, but they didn't have the same knowledge that the uh the disciples and followers of Jesus um at the time had. And I think that's revealing that even in this time. Jesus hiding. Jesus talks about how um, he's not come um, to give the gospel to the Gentiles. He tells his followers not to go into Gentile land. You have the lady who's begging the gent- the Gentile woman beg- uh, begging Jesus to um, heal her son. And it- Jesus is like, you know, we don't feed the dogs right you know and and that sounds kind of derogatory and it would be in that time because dogs were wild beasts and they're not 
you know, fluffy poodles that sleep on your bed and, you know, weigh down blankets. I mean, these are beasts. And yet you kind of have this and still, you know, in a sense, the teaching is hidden. And we see here in, in this third paragraph, the same idea that God controls who hears and who doesn't hear um, the gospel. And as Ephesians two, as Ephesians one would say, you know, it's out of his good pleasure that the Ephesians would be one of the fr first fruits. It's not America it was Ephesians and the other, the rest of the countries that were the fresh, the first fruits of salvation. All right, so let's move on to uh, paragraph four here. This is the last paragraph of chapter 20. And it says, Although the gospel be the only outward means of revealing Christ and saving grace, and is, as such, abundantly sufficient thereunto, yet the men who are dead in trespasses may be born again, quickened or regenerated, there is, moreover, necessary and effectual insuperable work of the Holy Spirit upon the whole soul for the producing in them a new spiritual life without which no other means will affect their conversion unto uh, God. And this is kind of what I posted on, on uh, social media uh, before the program, kind of letting people know what we're talking about here is while the gospel is the power of God unto salvation. And how often do we hear that from our friends? I can think of one individual in particular who's been on the show before who's the power of God is salvation, the power of God is salvation. Um, but that it doesn't bring men to saving faith unless the Holy Spirit is working in cooperation with that gospel. If he's working and he is he is uh, he is bringing that to its fullness, its completion, um, because he is regenerating the soul. He is convicting the world. He is pointing them to Christ. And, and it is him who's opening those dead, dead ears to hear and those eyes to see so that we can see Christ. And without the Holy Spirit, uh, it's impossible. The, the, the words here, um, effectual, insuperable, this is, this is referring to it's, it's irresistible. It's impossible to overcome. This is impossible for somebody to overcome. This is why you can give the gospel to people, and we've seen it. We've all, we've all experienced, we've given the gospel to people. Some people respond, some people don't. They heard the same gospel. What's the, what's the difference? The work of the Spirit in their life. Right. Uh, I mean, you think about all the people throughout the gospel accounts who had the miracles. They, had, they saw the crucifixion. They saw Jesus in the flesh and had the gospel right in front of them, Jesus, and they didn't didn't come to him. In fact, it says uh, in, in John 5, uh, 39, this is a verse I've been meditating on uh, recently, you search the scriptures because you think that in these you have life, you have eternal life. It is these that testify about me in 540, and you are unwilling to come to me so that you may live. And so we see there that they have Jesus right in front of them, but they don't have that effectual work of the Holy Spirit that would cause them 
searching the scriptures, hearing the gospel in our context to come to him because uh, as other scriptures cite, uh, no man can come unless the father draws him and the God of this world has veiled the gospel or has veiled the eyes of those who are perishing so that they may not see the glory of the gospel of Christ. So um, it needs a supernatural work, God drawing through the Holy Spirit, uh, as it says here. And as I believe we have chapter uh, 10, effectual calling. If you want to go back, check out that episode, uh, delve more into this. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, Oliver, I mentioned earlier, he gives an analogy from someone else. I don't remember if it was Waldron or Renhan or um, whatnot, but he talks about this kind of idea, this analogy as a, a lamp. You have a light bulb and you have electricity. And you need both for it to illuminate. You can't just have a bulb without electricity. Mm-hmm. It doesn't illuminate. It doesn't do what it does. But if you have electricity, as he would talk about it, just by itself, this power where it's dangerous and it's um, can be very, you know, kind of in our things, it can kill us kind of with it. But it's only when you have the battery with electricity does the light bulb now become a effectual to to illuminate and to go and so this is the you know the same way when we think about it the gospel is the light bulb and the power that drives it is the spirit and to be illuminated you need both and that to have that um to have missing one of them would be not having it that's why the gospel falls on deaf ears if god isn't sovereignly controlled and when our friends can't answer the question of why does one person repent and trust in the savior and the other doesn't when if the gospel is the power of god there has to be something else as part of the equations we don't deny the gospels with it mm-hmm. We're just saying is that the gospel needs the power, needs the spirit who is the power in the message. That is why Augustine can be reading a verse in Romans 14 and be convicted by the spirit of God and repent and trust in the savior. And it's those types of really I mean, to be frank, and I know they wouldn't say this, um, but when you really kind of think about the Armenian position, there is really seemingly no spirit work in it. There is a denial in the spirit's aspect. Now, I know that is not what they would say. They they try to, to bring it in. But, I mean, just even the last two. Um, paragraphs the improvement of na- men's natural ability well i should be able to choose that's but if that's the great difference well then it's not a work of god mm. where the confession here um clearly states like it's it's trusting in the gospel but that trust comes through the work of the spirit 
and you have to have both for the gospel to be effectual in the saving of sinners, which then also means it's not relying on me, the one who tells the gospel. And there's an aspect there in evangelism that's free. I don't have to be perfect in my gospel presentation. I should be trying to strive to be clear and so people can understand. But in the end, it's God who's going to save. Right. Not what I'm doing. I'm just the vessel of clay that God has choose for this honorable task and to display his glory, which shines upon the hearts. Yeah. And Christian, that should give you great comfort. That should give you so much comfort to, to not be afraid to share the gospel with people. We don't have to have everything all figured out. And a lot of times I can tell you from experience, I've interacted with people who are far more intellectually uh, superior than I am. I've been on college campuses with some really smart, bright, young students. They knew some, 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 some things that I didn't know. But when it came to the gospel, they were lost because they rejected Christ. And I didn't have to come up with some great argument like a lawyer trying to defend a, a case or to bring something forward. I mean, we want to be, as Mike was saying there, we, we want to be, as the scriptures tell us, study to show ourselves approved. We want to know what it is we believe and what we're trying to convey to people. That may not always be the case. We may, we may fail in our attempt to give somebody the gospel. We may stumble over our words. We may struggle if somebody asks us a question on the street and we don't really have the answer. I mean, we should be upfront and honest and just say, I don't know the answer to that question at this point. But sometimes we may think in our minds something and, and just completely afterwards think, wow, I really poorly gave that gospel to that person. But we can have comfort and trust that God is the one that saves. The Spirit is going to move through His Word, through the Word of God, and He's going to convict people or he's going to harden people's hearts. He's going to do whatever he pleases to do, or, you know, by his will. And so we can find comfort in that, Christian. We can, we can trust in the sovereignty of God when it comes to salvation. We can proclaim it. We can be faithful to the Lord in doing so, but have comfort in him. Absolutely. All right, so next week on G220 Radio, we will be again looking at Proverbs. We have gone through this series of Proverbs uh, like we've been doing here with uh, the 1689. We will be on Proverbs chapter 10. We'll have a couple of guest co-hosts with us on that program. Uh, and so uh, it should be a good, a good show. It's going to be kind of like a roundtable. We go through the book and we talk about it. So uh, you're going to want to tune in next week, Proverbs chapter 10. Next time we do the 1689, I don't know when that'll be. It could be maybe sometime next month or or in January, even in the new year, depending on when we get back to uh, the next chapter, chapter 21, as dealing with liberty, Christian liberty, uh, liberty of the conscience. So if you want to know whether or not you can drink alcohol, <laughs> no, just kidding. Um, or you can vote third party. Or you can vote Sorry. third party. Oh, there you go. <laughs> oh, we're we're going to start a firestorm right now, right? Um, you know, they don't listen to us. Yeah. But anyways, that's what will be the next time on G220 Radio when we uh, get to the 1689. But like I said, next week we'll be doing Proverbs chapter 10. I uh, hope you come in and join us. Uh, we'd love to hear your feedback. 
email us at g220radio at gmail.com. Again, that's g220radio at gmail.com. Uh, follow us on Facebook. Follow us on Twitter. And uh, send us some messages. Let us know what you think about the program. Subscribe to us on any of the platforms that you may listen to us on. And we'd love to have you. Until then, next time on G220 Radio, that's been the show. God bless. <laughs>